I do come before you this morning with a grateful heart. I'm grateful for this church. Are you? Amen? I'm grateful for this body of Christ. And I want to just introduce myself. My name is Bart Howell. I'm the lead pastor here. My wife, Hope, and I, we planted this church 23 years ago. And I'm so grateful that I've gotten to spend my lifetime here just investing in this community. This is where I grew up. And uh, it's just incredible to see what God is doing here. I love so many of you, uh, and I'm loving getting to know so many of you who are brand new. And we welcome you here. Those of you who are online, we welcome you. You're part of us too. And, uh, you know, we are. you, you noticed as you coming in, and uh, especially if you've been here for a few weeks, that there's construction that is happening, and I know it's inconvenient right now, and I want to thank you for your patience. Uh, you know, we'll be putting up with it for a little while, but we're just essentially doubling our footprint here, uh, and we're going to have more space. We're going to have more commons. We're going to have more space for our kids' classes, and uh, there's just so many great things that are going on. I'll be sharing more about our vision uh, in a few weeks. If you want to kind of catch up on that, I'll share that with you on a Sunday morning and before too long. Uh, but I'm also grateful for your faithfulness in giving, especially to our EVC Go gift, which was back in March. I've got to tell you one more thing. I got, a, got an email from one of our fellow church planter partners who's uh, planted a church in uh, right outside of Toronto in Canada. His name is Mauricio, and his wife's name is Mabel. We've got a picture of them. Let's bring them up. And uh, they told me to tell you thank you for your generosity because this last week, uh, they planted their church five years ago, and we connected with them and been pouring into them and loving on them. They planted their church. We've gotten to watch their family grow uh, since they planted. They are from Colombia. They moved from Colombia because they felt like God was leading them to go to Canada to plant a church to Spanish-speaking people up in that Toronto area. It's one of the most international cities in the world, and they felt called to go there, and they planted, and then he sent me this picture this week. Look, this was last Sunday. Isn't that awesome? And uh, that's their five-year anniversary. And Mauricio told me to tell you thank you, and he also wanted me to tell you that on that Sunday, eight people trusted Christ as their Savior in that service. That's awesome. And so thank you for that. I'm grateful for you giving. I just want you to know your giving to that matters. It's changing lives. Not only here is God changing lives, but in other places where we are invested. Uh, and I, I just share these things with you because I want you to know that if you're new, we have a heart for the world because God has a heart for the world. But what also includes the world? Not only just global things, what's happening right here? So if you're, you're looking to get plugged into a church that is on mission, you'll find that here at EVC. In fact, I want to I bring attention to one thing locally that you can get involved in. We've been bringing your attention to this, is that we've been invited by EMSISD to partner with them in, in providing backpacks. Uh, with school supplies for families that are in need. And our church is kind of leading out in this within the community, and we need your help with this. If you're interested in knowing more about that, scan that, and you can provide uh, just your loving on a child that needs some school supplies. That is one of the most basic things that we can do is providing some needs. So I want to invite you to jump in on that. We don't just only do what's happening in Africa and India and, and Canada. We do what's happening here too. We don't do one and neglect the other. We do them together, local and global. That's what we're called to be about, okay? Turn with me to Jonah, chapter 3. And we're going to wrap up chapter 3 today, and we'll finish the book next week in chapter 4. And while you're turning to Jonah, chapter 3, how many of you um, are parents? Raise your hands up. Raise them up high, okay? And I went and visited your kids just a minute ago back in the classrooms. It's chaos. 
boss back there right now, okay? And, uh, and so um, how many of you who raise kids or are raising them, you have a kid that is prone to, if you look up for a second, they are a runner and they are gone. Anybody have a kid like that or raised one like that, okay? Like, I mean, before you know it, you look away and they bolted, okay? And then you're like, where did they go? I used to judge parents who used these on their kids. I used to judge them, all right? I, I, I don't judge them anymore. Whenever, that was before we had our son, Luke. Luke's 25 now, okay? So I used to judge parents who had those. Now, we didn't use one of those for, for Luke, but I don't judge anybody that uses them because Luke, you could look up for a second and he would be gone. And Hope reminded me this week um, of whenever, right after we planted the church, we were having a, a community Thanksgiving service, and I got asked to be the primary speaker where we were joining with other churches and celebrating and giving thanks. And I want you to envision, as all these churches are gathered together at, at, over at the old First Baptist Saginaw building in the old part of Saginaw, it's actually Saginaw United Methodist Church now, we, there was a small little commons area, smaller than ours, and all these churches were packed in there. There was a lot of people in the community, and, and I was getting ready to go preach, and so my mind was kind of zeroed in on that, and Hope looked up for a second. He's gone, and I, I'm, I didn't have any idea. I was up there getting ready to preach a message, probably the sermon on the lost son, most likely, okay? And I'm getting ready, and I'm looking out, and I don't see hope in the crowd. I'm like, where is my wife? Uh, where are my parents who are part of our church too? I was even thinking, where's our church? Everybody was looking for Luke. They were scouring everywhere, going, looking everywhere frantically, and for 30 minutes to whatever, he, they, he couldn't be found. He wasn't inside. I mean, they were turning everything over looking for him. Hope finally decided to walk outside and walk into the parking lot. And Luke was, he's probably about four or five at the time, was standing near his Aunt Linda's car because he had heard that we were going out to eat with them afterwards and he wanted to skip church to go to that. Typical preacher's kid, right? And so Hope found him. But, but here's the thing, if you've ever... If you've ever like had where you've kind of lost a kid like that for a few moments, by the way, don't judge. I see some of you judging us, all right? Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, so how would you feel about that, okay? Um, in that process, they were just on the search for this lost one, this one who slipped away a little bit and and, and, and here's the thing, my mom reminded me that I also did this, and so I was like, because I was like, Luke, what are you doing? And my mom was like, you did that too. Um, you were gone for a while, and, and, and anyhow. So not, kids don't only do this, but adults will do this. And the book of Jonah reminds us that sometimes we will go on the run from God when God Many times will call us to do something that we don't want to do, something that is inconvenient, something that maybe doesn't make sense to us. That's uh, much of what's happening in Jonah's heart when God comes and speaks to him about going to bring a message to a group of people, the Ninevites, that he hated. He, he, he detested these people. And, and again, Kids don't only run, but maybe some of you are on the run this morning. 
figuratively speaking, right? And you've been running from God who's asked you to do something. I mean, isn't that really the storyline of the Bible to begin with? Adam and Eve were in relationship with God. Uh, They rebelled. They sinned. And what has God been doing ever since? He's been pursuing us. And, of course, the embodiment of that was when Jesus came and he humbled himself. And we, we, you've heard me say this. I said it last week, and others have said this, that, uh, you know, other religions are on this quest to find God, to go up to God, to get to God, to work to God. But our, in our faith, what we discover in the Word of God is that God came after us and that he's been pursuing us and humbled himself when he'd been put on skin and flesh and became one of us and And the the reality is we've been talking week after week is no matter how far away you have run or you feel or mistakes you have made, he's never stopped loving you, he's never stopped pursuing you, and he never will. Why? Because you matter to him. And he loves you just as we searched for our son. I didn't know or I would have quit preaching, but you know. um, But they were looking for him. So God pursues us in his grace. So let me catch you up. If you've been out, Jonah chapter 1, God speaks to Jonah. It's not what he wanted to hear, which was go speak my message to your enemies. Nineveh is east, 550 miles. He runs as far west as he can get. In his mind, he was going as far away. But God pursued this disobedient prophet. He pursued him in his grace. God sent a storm. And sometimes God will allow and send a storm in our life to get our attention. God also sent a fish, a big fish. Think of it as God's Uber to pick Jonah up to get him back to where he needed to be. And in his grace, he picks him up. And Jonah is about as low as you can get. He's down, he's out, discouraged, probably even depressed when you look at what was happening with him. So God picks him up. Jonah chapter 2, what happens there? Jonah speaks to God, and it's this beautiful prayer and this psalm that he writes to God. He's humbled. And I started thinking about this. I mean, it doesn't get much more humbling than to be, as God ordered the fish, to vomit him up on the beach. He was fish puke, essentially. Think of that. And then I started thinking, It could have been worse, all right? Think about that a little bit, okay? There's only one other thing that would have been worse than that. Chapter 3. Some of you, it's just now registering, okay? Now the Lord is going to speak through Jonah to a group of people that God is also pursuing. And that is the pursuing heart of God. What do, we, what do we know about the Ninevites? We're told they were vile. They were violent. They were murderous morally, uh, just the values that they had were just reprehensible. They were into child sacrifice, and, and just violence was so uh, prominent there that Nahum the, uh, it speaks of these bodies that the murder was, rate was high. There were bodies just lying in the streets. When I started thinking about this this week, whenever I've watched like a documentary on the Holocaust, and you see things like that, and you see just just how another human being or a group of people can treat another group of humans. And the Assyrians were known to be like that. How the, how the Jews were treated by the Germans. They were known to not value human life. It, and, and that's why Jonah, he, he hated them. He didn't want to see them come to God. He, he, he wanted them to get judgment. And, and so 
he did uh, probably also, I imagine, if God called you to go into an Al-Qaeda camp and bring a message from God or an ISIS camp and to go in and say, God says there's going to be judgment here in 40 days. You'd probably feel afraid. You'd probably feel like that's not going to work, God. You'd, you know what I'm saying? You'd feel these feelings of frustration. God, I don't want them to know you. They're, they're, they're horrible people that, that surely you couldn't love. But what do we see? No, God loves the world. God loves even the people that we think that should get judgment. God, God wants to bring salvation to them. Now, we don't know how long it was before Jonah went after he got vomited up on the beach, but I suspect that it was pretty quick because one thing I know as a parent, you know this as a parent, is that if you tell someone to do something when you're kids and they delay, like clean your room, I'll get to it in a week, well, that's really not obedience, is it? Delayed obedience is really total disobedience. So most likely, he made it, began making his way uh, 550 miles across the desert, he has been humbled, and God has called him. And look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. God called him to go. God restores him. God's not done with him. That's going to mean something for some of you. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. The whole message last week was about God's second chances. Sometimes God has to bring us to the place where we tell him no again and again. I mean, if you're a parent, you know you never have to tell your kids more than once to do something. But if you've told God no, he's going to talk to you about it again. I want you to know that. And if you think you have a, a, a resilient spirit, maybe stubborn, well, God has this, I hesitate to use this word, but a stubborn love for us. Maybe that's a terrible word, I don't know. I just mean it to be that he loves us. He's going to keep trying to use you. He loves to use you. He doesn't need you. He just wants to use you and me. And it goes on, and he's patient with Jonah. He's patient with the Ninevites. Verse 2, this is what God says. Get up. When we were singing, get up, get up. God was thinking, yeah, get up and go. Get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you, Jonah. This time, Jonah, everybody say it with me, what? Obeyed the Lord's command. I guess he figured doing this was better than being in the belly of a fish. And he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. The point that's being made here is it was a mega city of that area. Uh, it, it, was, it was a massive city. We learn that there were, in chapter 4, where it numbers them around 120,000 people, which was a huge city of that time. You should know it's a mega city because, in fact, the largest city in the, in the nation of Israel at that time was the Samaria area that had around 30,000 people. Many of them would migrate down with the, with the Jews, and they would come together in Jerusalem. There'd be up to 100,000 people for the different festivals that would gather, but it was people who were coming in. There were this many people in, in that one city. It was a big city. When we think about New York and others, we think, that's small. No, this was big. You need to know this. And God says, I want you to go to this great city. So Jonah says, okay. And he, and he, and he makes his way there. And, and, and the point that we see in this, remember it's people he resents, I think is this. Jonah probably thought there is no way these people could ever be saved by you, God. They'll never turn to you. 
They'll probably kill me immediately. They were known for their violence. So it's kind of, I, I kind of envision it like this. It's kind of a, okay, whatever, I'll go do this. And he's on his way. Now chapter 4 will reveal there is a, an obedience that is an obedience that is kind of a letter of the law obedience. And then there's, a, there's kind of a spirit of the law obedience. And I see chapter 4 revealing that the spirit wasn't still there. His heart still was not changed. Because in chapter 4 he's going to throw a fit. He throws a fit with God. Go to the great city of Nineveh. This is something to take away that God spoke to me into my heart this week. As someone who grew up in this area, has lived out here for 40 plus years. I'm 51. Okay, we moved out here when I was in second grade. And it was just all cow pastures. There were probably more cows out here than there were people. All right? Now here's the point that God was speaking into my heart and into yours today. God loves cities because God loves people. He loves the cities. Now, he loves the country too. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't love the cities because of the buildings and the infrastructure that's behind and everything. He loves cities because he loves people. And there were 120,000 people that needed this message from God. And I started thinking as I grew up out here and the massive changes that I've watched happen in the 40 years, really in the last five years, it's been nuts how quickly this area has grown. And I won't lie to you, as one who has grown up out here, kind of when it was country, there was one high school right across the street, not three, about to be four that are massive. It was country out here. So sometimes I got to tell you, there's a little bit of me who's lived here forever that laments that a little bit, okay? When I see the roads cut, and I lamented a little bit. That's just the personal side of me because I kind of like the country a little bit. Uh, I, I like that a bit. And sometimes it makes me mad. It makes me angry, especially as I'm waiting in crazy lines in grocery stores that never used to happen. It makes me angry as I'm driving in ridiculous traffic in this area just to get across Saginaw, right? And so, and I, but, but in that moment, what I feel like God was really touching my heart on this week is I marvel at thinking of where God has strategically, you need to hear this because you're this church, Eagles View Church, where he has placed us in this incredibly strategic area where we're told that 85,000 cars a day are going by on that road right there. And every one of those cars is filled with people that God loves. I got to ask you this, okay, this, uh, this was cool in the first service. How many of you have moved here uh, and you've been here over, you moved here uh, 10 years ago or kind of in that range, 10 years. Raise your hands up, raise them up high. Okay. That's awesome. Look around. How many of you'd say you've moved in this area within the last five years? Raise your hands up high. Last five years, raise them up. How many of you'd say you've moved here in the last year? Raise them up high. Awesome. We want you to know we welcome you, right church? Come on. Applaud for those who are new we welcome you. But here's what I want to tell you. If you are already a believer, okay, I want you to understand something. You're coming to EBC now. You're looking for a church. You're a believer. This is what I'm trying to tell you today. I am blown away by what God is doing out here with the, with the roofs, rooftops that are everywhere, that housing developments that are coming in. 
If God brought you here, I'm telling you, God did not bring you here to escape wherever it was that you moved from. God, I believe, has brought you here to help us reach all the people that are here. If you already know Jesus, we're not a cruise liner church where you're just coming to check it out just to see what's in it. For me, we're an aircraft carrier church, which means we're inviting you to come on mission with us. And everybody has a job on an aircraft carrier, right? And we, what we're telling you is we need you to help us reach these people. What God is saying to me is that God is bringing people here. He's bringing people into this place. It's not a country area anymore. Now, again, you, you, when you think about that, you think about the inconvenience. You think about how it makes you mad in traffic. Be careful with your EVC bumper stickers. Be careful. Some of you need them revoked, okay? All right? Just saying. All right? Be careful with this. Um, I want you to know, about six years ago, we moved a little more out to the country, and, and here's what I felt like I was saying to me this week. It's okay, wherever you want to live, that's between you and the Lord, but don't ever, Bart, lose your heart for the people of this city. This is where he put this church. It's amazing what he's done, and we are poised to strategically reach this city in, in an, an incredible area. Another thing, God loves the nations. He's bringing the nations to us in this city. He's bringing the nations. So, so here's what this means, right? As, as you're experiencing inconvenience, remember what, what my wife said as she was rebuking me in traffic last week as I was getting angry. She said, there are Ninevites. Remember, there are Ninevites everywhere in the traffic, and God loves them. And that's helped me, that helped me with my anger in driving this week. It helped me to remember that, that God, right? And, and three-fourths of the world's population, you should know, lives in cities. It's an urban world that we live in. God's calling us to love the people. You may not like the atmosphere of city, but he's called you to love the people of the city. Why? Because he loves the people of the city. Even the ones that you don't think need him, they, they, he loves them, right? It's easy to start hating the inconvenience of the crowds, but when you're feeling this way, remember this, okay? Where, wherever you are, here's your next takeaway from this. Wherever God has placed you in this city, in your neighborhood, in your job, wherever, even if you hate your job, you got to remember this. God has placed you where you are to be a missionary to people that he loves. You're in your neighborhood for a reason. You may have moved there because you just like it and it's beautiful or whatever, and that's probably part of it, but God has placed you there because he wants you to be a lighthouse in that community right there. He wants you to love your neighbors. Sometimes we think that a missionary, we go all over the world but here's what I know. Sometimes we think that a missionary is someone who lives somewhere else or a missionary is someone who goes somewhere else. We're going to invite you to go to Africa, Honduras, Quebec, all these places we go, India, Philippines. All, we're going to invite you to go. You might go once or twice in your life, and if that's what constitutes a missionary, you're missing it because a missionary is one that doesn't just go across the world. A missionary is willing to walk across the street and love your Neighbor. It's willing to show up when the U-Haul shows up in your community and instead of being like, oh, more people moving in, you're like, wow, God, this is somebody that you want me to love. Maybe help them move in. Maybe take them some cookies. You know, invite them to your life group. Invite them to a church, uh, our church. Invite them to another one. Whatever. 
but you know, they're coming in and they, they need to know that they are loved. That's why God has you here. That's why God has you here is to be a representation of his love to them. One of, also, one of the reasons why we strategically plant churches in cities is because culture kind of flows out of major cities. And there are leaders that often congregate in cities and, it, and culture kind of flows that way. That's why we're partnering in Seattle because we want to see that area reached. We're partnering in Detroit. We're partnering in New York City. Church planting, those areas. We partner all around here Think about how Paul planted churches. He planted in Ephesus. He planted in Rome. He planted in Corinth. Strategic places, and then it flows out into the country. That's kind of how it works, okay? It's a strategy. The question for you is you need to ask yourself this today in this context is, are you willing to go? I'm not even asking you to go to Africa. God may call you. Are you willing to go and love the people where you work? Are you willing to go and love the people as a representation of Jesus on your street with neighbors that maybe could even be difficult? Are you willing to say, here I am, God. I want to live on mission with you, sent. If you hate your job, and I know many of you do, we've talked about it before, this can transform the way that you look at your job. Because now you begin to see that, okay, maybe I can't get out of this job right now, but maybe God has me here because he's wanting me just to love a group of people here that need Christ. Okay, and just loving people, living scent. Are you willing to do that? Jonah gets to the city, okay, and look with me, verse 4. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed. That was his sermon. Not really a feel-good kind of message, would you say? As I'm reading this, in fact, in the Hebrew, it's only five words. Essentially, it'd be like me walking out here today, setting my stuff up, and saying this. Five, six words. You think it's hot here? Some of you'd be like, rock on. Do it, Bart. Do it. All right? Or... Turn or burn. <laughs> Suckers. And I threw that one in for free. Okay. Um, man, I come out. I say, welcome to EVC. Glad you're here. I've already used up my words, you know. Um, don't forget to give your gift on the way out, you know. I've used 10 right there. Jonah's message was only five words. And, and it's basically, you're going to die in 40 days. <laughs> He doesn't even tell them what to do, repent. He doesn't tell them about Jesus coming, you know, one day. He just says, God is going to bring some destruction on this place. Mic drop, boom. That's what he does. Now, what could be going on here as I'm thinking about this? It could be, some guys think it could be a summation of a longer message. We preachers, we choose to believe that. It could be uh, that God, he said exactly what God called him to say. That's it. It could be it. Could also be, there's some that think this way, Jonah was doing the very minimum he could to get by and still be in obedience to God. All right? Once again, a spirit of the law or, or a letter of the law over spirit of the law. Kind of like when one of your kids messes up or one of your kids hurts another child accidentally or something and you say, tell them you're sorry. And they go, sorry. You like that? And you're like, they did what you said, but the spirit isn't really sorry. 
okay? Did your kids do that? Mine did, okay? Whenever your kids are fighting, okay? And, and so it could be this, but I notice Jonah doesn't say, hey, God loves you. He, he has a wonderful plan for your life. Hey, God loves you. You can live your best life now. He didn't say anything like this. He says, you've got 40 days and God's going to do something here that you won't believe. And what happened? Did they kill Jonah? Did they string him up with hooks through his jaw and nose like they did other people that they were torturing and leading along into slavery when they would overthrow nations? Did they impale him and skin him alive like they did so many others? This is what they had done to many others. Here is what I think. I think a bigger miracle happened than the fish. We think so much that this book is about a fish, and it is a big, pivotal moment, no doubt. But we realize a bigger miracle happened because these people who were so vile heard a short message from God through a, through a, a, a prophet who was stubborn and, and reluctant and resentful, and it was... This place is going to be upturned in 40 days. And look at what it says. In fact, I want you to read chapter or verse 5 with me as they bring it up. Say the first part with me out loud. Come on. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. That's a miracle. They believed. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. It's where they said, we're not going to eat for a while. They put on burlap. It's like a potato sack. And they put it on to show their sorrow. This was an outward expression of a repentant heart. They, they were believing this message. They probably looked around and they, something was so vile in their community that they looked and they saw bodies everywhere and they thought, man, this place is broken. And it does deserve judgment. It's broken. So here is what I, I, I kind of pull out of this, right? This miracle that they believed, number one, you need to know something. Wherever you work, wherever you're in your community, in your neighborhood, whenever I, I said God wants you to be that missionary there, it scares us because we think that it's up to us like to do something. You know, here's what God just wants you to be, faithful, faithful every day. Here is the thing. God is always working everywhere in people's lives, even when you can't see it. He's working at your work. He's working. And here is the thing. God's word, when it is intersected with his work, it is God's word, his message. That is what transforms lives. God's word is not given to us to bring information. It's given to us to bring transformation. God's word is not just how much you can memorize and then you don't live it out. It's meant to transform people. And, and, and Jonah was probably thinking, no way, God, this is going to work. I'll tell him what you told me to say, but you need to know that God in his sovereignty, and this is bigger than our minds can handle, was sovereignly working and already drawing people and already breaking people and working in the king's heart, doing these things, right? And, and these people, these people, it says that they believed. The bigger miracle to me, the king believed. Here's the miracle. God, some of you are going to like this, God can even change and transform politicians. 
as we look even in our culture today and the divisiveness and all this, whatever your political affiliation is, you know, we demonize the other parties and stuff. God's word, what I'm wanting you to hear, it is God's word. God is always working. Don't give up hope. God is moving. He's working. But even the king, even the king came down off of the throne. Look at verse 6. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, I mean, he's the king of Nineveh. A people become vile often when leaders are vile. A people become violent when leaders are violent. He didn't get into that place by, by just kind of accident. In those kinds of places, you took things by force. And this is probably why he was where he was. And even the king, we see, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes, he dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. The king lowered himself to the same status before a holy God as every other person. This was a miracle. This is a miracle. That this man would, would in fact do this outward thing. You know, we don't know what was going on in his mind. He probably had heard about Egypt, I imagine. He had probably heard about what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. He had heard of these things of the judgment of God. He probably looked around. He knew in his heart as God was working that something was wrong. Things are broken. It's messed up here. And God's word came as God was working. And even when we can't see it, you need to know that. And it made me think about the word of God in our lives. How important it is. And, and, and Jonah gave a word. We have the completed word. We have it. Uh, you know, it's in our life. God's mind revealed to man has been given. Hebrews speaks about it like this. You need to know that, that the word of God is what changes lives. The word of God is what changed my life. It's changed many of your lives as you started reading it. It changed our friend in Africa, Sadu. It changed his life when he started reading it from a Muslim perspective, and he repented and he became a believer in Jesus Christ. The Word of God is powerful. Look at what it says. For the Word of God is alive. It's living. It's active. It's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes. It's like the Word of God. We think we study it, but it studies us. It like dissects us. And if you will open it up, it will begin to speak into your heart. God's word changes lives. This is imperative for us to take away today how important it is that the word of God is, is in our life. That you're taking it in every day. You have access to it. You're reading it. You know, my words are not going to change your life. Randy's words aren't. Our pastor's words. It's the word of God. I want you to know this. That whenever we planted this church, when we moved to this building here, uh, six or seven years ago, I can't even remember. We moved here when they were pouring the foundation. My mom and dad gave me a Bible when I was on a Jonah run away from God. And I, was, I never wanted to be a pastor. Not because I didn't think pastors did important things. I just didn't think that was for me. But my mom gave me a Bible that I was reading and I was just reading and God was pursuing me. We took that Bible a few years back when we poured the foundation here. And I want you to hear this. We planted that Bible in the foundation. Pastor Randy and I did with my mom and dad there present. We put it in the foundation so that every time that we stand up here to speak to, speak to you, it's right underneath me. 
every time we speak to you, we are reminded that everything we say should be based upon and founded upon the word of God. If you're, yeah, if you, it, it, who cares what I say? It's God's word that we stand on. I know you may be thinking, well, man, that was a waste of a buck. God told us to do that. We believe. When I say told, he just, it just led us to want to have that symbolically. Now, here is the thing. Let me ask you a question. Did God need Jonah to bring the message to the Ninevites? Did he need him? Does he need you? God can do it however he wants to do it. But here's what he delights in. He delights in partnering with you and me to bring his message to the world. He's invited us into this to deliver his message. And, and I want to take the pressure off of you. Your responsibility, my responsibility is to be faithful. But here's what you need to hear. It is not your job to change people's lives. I want our pastors to hear this. If you are here, it's not your job to change people's lives. Your job is to be faithful in delivering the word of God. And the Holy Spirit intersected as God is working with his word transforms people. Those of you who are studying in precepts and you're studying in life groups, and you're, that's awesome. Keep doing that. But I want to remind you, you are to take it in, not for your information. You are to take it in to pass it on to somebody else. You are to take it in to pass it on, as Paul told Timothy, entrust it to other reliable men and women. God didn't need Jonah. He just loves to partner with us. He loves using broken people. I got to tell you one more cool thing. Your EBC Go Gift money, whenever I was in Africa a few weeks back, Pastor Will and I, uh, at the graduation for the church planners that day, we were able to deliver. Here's an image of this. We were able to deliver. Uh, that is a print Bible and an audio Bible. The money you gave, we, this is one of the church planners, we were able to give them 760 Bibles that your money bought for them. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's cool. Um, you, your money bought that for them, and those church planners are going out with, with audio Bibles, 200 of those, because there are people who are illiterate and can't read it, but they can hear it. And then there are the print Bibles. What we need to be praying for is that those get into the hands of people that God wants them to have it. Leaders get it. He changes. God's word is more powerful, this shows us, than a king. It's more powerful than the Assyrian army. It's more powerful than anything else. Your money investing in that is in those hands, and it's going out all over Senegal very, as we speak, 760 Bibles that could literally transform a nation. Your giving makes a difference. I, I want you to see the partnership in this verse. Romans 10, I'll make this quick. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him? Here's where the partnership comes in. How can they call on him uh, to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them, uh, you know, and go and tell them without being, what's the word, sent? I am letting you know today, if you're a Christian here today, you have already been sent. You have been sent. 
That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. God doesn't need us. He delights in partnering with us. And here is where the pressure comes off of you too. It comes off of me. Leave the results up to God. Leave the results up to God. And you just be faithful. Love people. This is what we do. Love God. Come on. Love people. Develop disciples. That's what he's called us to do. That's our purpose here at EBC. Leave the results up to God. And and, and I have to remind myself this every week. God spoke, because I never wanted to be a preacher. God spoke through a donkey to deliver his message. And he does it every Sunday up here. Whether it's me or Pastor Randy, he's um, more him than me. No, um, you can't save anyone. You don't give new life, Jesus does. You don't give new nature, Jesus does. Just be faithful in loving God and loving people. Taking his word, developing disciples, all right? Look at the king's response. It wasn't Jonah's great preaching or his, you know, persuasive capability. God is making a point, by the way, of how stubborn and prideful religious people can be. Because here's what we see. The king is more repentant than Jonah (laughs) seems to be. And the sailors who were pagan sailors were more repentant than Jonah in chapter 1. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals, he says... From your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. What the animals do, man. <laughs> but they're, they're going to, they're gonna also, the judgment that would happen in that city, it would affect, and God loves animals too. He loves people, but he, he loves his creation, all right? People and animals alike must wear garments. Can you imagine that even the, even the animals, the cows were wearing sackcloth. That must have been weird. Um, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways. This is coming from the evil king who is saying everyone else needs to stop the violence. Let's stop this. Let's turn to God. And here's what he says. God, we're sorry. This is what's fascinating to me. We don't even know if you will forgive us. And some of you have thought that about yourself. Could he even forgive me? But this is what he said. We're still going to turn to you. Who can tell, perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. It says they were sorrowful, they were repentant. And here's what I want you to know about repentance. Repentance shows this, a change of mind, metanoia, it's a change of mind. But here's what it leads to. It leads to a change of behavior. When you change your mind about something, you start behaving differently. And they were behaving differently, okay? And, and here's what's interesting to me. And we're going to pray here, and then we're going to sing another song. But I want you to hear this. They didn't wait for 40 days. They didn't even wait three days. They got the message, and they repented immediately. And there are some of you that have been running from God for years and years and years, and God has been patient, and he's being patient, but I want you to know that at the end of that 40 days, there was going to be a judgment, and I don't say that to be like, you know, you're going to be judged. I say that to say, don't wait. Come to him today at this moment, because the scripture says 
that we are in this season of grace. God is gracious and he's patient. You may have wondered, why doesn't he just, if you, you know, why doesn't he just wipe all this mess out and bring judgment on all these evil people? Let me tell you why. Because he loves them and wants them to come to him first. That is what the scripture says, right? There will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is going to happen. And those of us, sometimes we read that and we think, yeah, yeah, we ought to be like brokenhearted. Like how many people can I be used by God to bring along to where they don't experience that judgment? And the only reason you understand that you and I could ever stand before God and not be judged is because Jesus took our punishment and judgment for us. And he did for them too. And they need to hear. Peter says this. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Promise about what? I'm coming back. As some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. Say it with me. But wants everyone, even the people you don't like to repent. But the day of the Lord, that's when he returns, will come as unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And the way that you and I can stand before Jesus is when we put our faith in Christ as our Savior, as the one who took our place, he makes us righteous. And so if you've never put your faith in Jesus, with all the love in my heart that I have for you today, I'm calling upon you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Put your faith in Jesus today. Some of you have been on the run from Jesus, and you're a believer, and you've been running. Don't wait for him to bring a storm. Come to him today and say, God, I'm sorry, I'll do whatever it is you desire for me to do. Look at what it says in verse 10, the king's response when they see this, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. I want you to know that doesn't mean he's wishy-washy or whatever. It just says this, God knows everything, but God was giving them a chance because he's patient. And that's why he hasn't returned yet. He's waiting on on people to put their faith in him. I think also he's waiting on his church to wake up and be obedient and taking the word to the ends of the earth. So, Father, as we pray, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you love our city as much as you love Nineveh. Would you give us a heart of loving the city and the people of the city? Some here today, Lord, are, are, are bored at their job. They're, they're, they hate what they do. Lord, would you turn whatever it is that they, where they're at into their mission field, turn it into something that excites them. Your word changing lives. Some of you need to come to faith in Jesus. Receive him right now. Receive the gift of eternal life that he took your place. Some of you, You've been on the run. Come to him. Whatever it is he's leading you to do, step out in faith and trust him. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace.